The first reading is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 15. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15. St. Paul writes this, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke, written in Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, 
for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The story of the penitent woman has a lot in common with the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And here we have a Pharisee again, this one named Simon, a man of some standing in society, a man with a reputation as a religious person, and a man with a home to which he's invited Jesus. Like many such occasions in that society, it was common for there to be a degree of openness so that outsiders were able to be present, perhaps to share in the meal. Simon was not so implacably opposed to Jesus as some uh, Pharisees, for he had invited Jesus to uh, the meal and perhaps wanted to question him to see what Jesus is all about, then to judge how he should react to him. He was going to test Jesus. Yet his welcome was evidently far from enthusiastic. A warm welcome would have involved washing the guest's feet from the dust of the journey, a physical greeting like a kiss, or perhaps some oil or perfume poured over. Like other Pharisees, uh, his religion was uh, one of obligation and required him to perform certain duties, uh, giving by his tithing, observing the law in all its detail, keeping ceremonially clean, offering sacrifices, and so forth. Uh, such a religion leads to pride, uh, as we've read in the first reading. Such a religion leads to pride, to feeling that he was superior to others. Thank God I am not as other men, and especially this publican, uh, that God must be pleased with him. Indeed, he judged himself, indeed justified himself, by comparing himself with others he felt superior to, or against his observance of the law as currently interpreted, but not with the holy God himself in whose image and likeness he was made. The woman, on the other hand, is unnamed as far as the story is concerned. She doesn't appear to have been one of the close circle of disciples around Jesus and certainly was not in the Pharisees' address book. She was an outsider, socially and especially in religious terms. Indeed, the one thing we are told of her is that she'd lived a sinful life in the town. So maybe she had a certain notoriety, was probably a prostitute, and she made her availability known to the men of the town. And like those of the oldest profession throughout history, she was both tempting and repellent, her way of life implying her availability, but at the same time her uncleanness with the possibility of disease, a threat to marriage and the family and to the religious life of the synagogue. She carried a ritual uncleanness which made her, in the sight of the Pharisee, 
untouchable. The Pharisee would have found it repellent that she come into his house, to his table, and would speak to and even touch one of his guests. Yet her conduct must have been confusing to the Pharisee, for she didn't act as one uh, would expect from such a woman. She made a beeline for Jesus, carrying her alabaster jar of perfume, and standing behind him weeping, her tears falling on his feet, which she wiped with her hair, conduct which no decent woman would do. What made her act in such a way? Clearly, we can see that she was overwhelmed with joy and gratitude, with a sense of the deep sinfulness of her life, which had been forgiven and released. And so she behaved out of worship towards Jesus, out of the deep love of her heart. It wasn't a denial that at one time her life had been a complete mess and that she deserved the reputation she had. But in Jesus, she had found forgiveness and acceptance, the cleansing and the strength to make a fresh start. And the joy which came to her in knowing that all that shameful life which she'd once been living could be put behind her. She may at one time have been a scarlet woman, but yet now she was as white as snow. The Pharisee, of course, was blind to this and saw her with completely different eyes. All he could see, standing at his table and touching his guest, was someone with a reputation, a notoriety, which meant that she was beyond the pale. He felt her uncleanness penetrating his home, infecting anything she came near. There was no sympathy for her. He had no thought for his own position in the sight of God that he might himself be a sinner, and not only a sinner, but one who was unforgiven because he had no sense of repentance. He must have felt outraged when Jesus began to compare him unfavorably with the woman, to find that it was she who was commended and he who was under judgment, he who had shown no welcome, no love, no joy, and so there was no forgiveness. So he thought uh, perhaps some of the questions he had about Jesus were being answered. How could he be a prophet? He must know what kind of woman she was, that she was a sinner. So how are we to read this story today? First, there's a great lesson here about Jesus uh, and repentance. There is no sin so terrible that it cannot be forgiven, no barrier so high that it can't be broken down, despite damage that may have been caused. Jesus took as his model uh, a woman of the streets, someone whose way of life was familiar, but made her shunned and excluded by the rest of society. Perhaps if he was telling the story today, Jesus might use, by way of illustration, someone who'd taken a sex slave and imprisoned her body and taken over her mind for many years, or someone who, like the recent Oxford case, picked up young and vulnerable girls and callously used them and sold them on to others. 
or to, to a terrorist who has, without a moment's re- regret, made a bomb and used it in a crowded place with the sole object of killing and maiming as many as he could. But where there is true repentance, and there is a way back from the most horrific state we can imagine, Newton, we know, was the captain of a slave ship, hard and indifferent to the horror underneath his decks of the ruined lives and the lost freedom of countless helpless men and women chained up, suffering and dying. Yet he found himself forgiven and able to be used by God in his service as a minister of the gospel, as a writer of some of the greatest hymns we use today, as a supporter of the abolition of slavery. And so Newton was able to sing how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. But secondly, perhaps there's an aspect of this story we need to hear again from Simon the Pharisee, who had not even begun the journey that the woman had made. It's the danger of letting our religious lives become externalized and routine and repetitive. We may not be as self-satisfied as the Pharisee, but we do know the danger of falling into the trap of considering ourselves to be better than others, to be engaged in our religious activities, attendance at church, giving, being part of the religious community, being seen to be religious, that we fail to meet the reality of God and to be moved by his holiness and love and to know him reaching out to us and to our world. So that we fail to know ourselves as we really are in his sight, fail in our hearts to know him as our saviour and guide, fail to place him at the centre of our beings and fail to fall at his feet and offer ourselves and our lives in worship and service. And thirdly, there's a lesson from the woman. For repentance involves more than just an acknowledgement of having committed sin. For her, it wasn't that she had intellectually admitted that her way of life was shameful and far from what she'd been made for. It meant, rather, a deep realization of the way in which her sin had held her captive, separated from God, and the manner in which it harmed her and others around her, of the destructive nature of what she'd been doing, that it had dominated her life. It meant turning her back on this old way of life and redefining her associations, the way she used her life, the purpose for which she lived. And it can't have been easy. Forgiveness for her meant a release of the past, a power to make a fresh start and to sustain a new life. It meant an end to the captivity of sin and a newfound freedom. It meant that in Jesus, she'd found a saviour and found acceptance. And this fact so filled her life, so overcame her, 
that not only did she dare to enter that house where she was so unwelcome by the host, but nothing was going to stand in the way of her expressing her great love for her Lord and and spontaneously to worship the God who had accepted her. Amen.